Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. So, hey everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. You know, as this episode airs, it's uh, November 1st, and for most whitetail hunters in the East, the Midwest, it's probably the most magical time of the year. It's uh, the time of the year when you uh, really, whether you have your sights uh, set on a big buck that you've been watching, or you um, are just taking your chances and one comes by your stand, it's really the time of the year where anything and everything can happen and you can uh, really have some great success in the whitetail woods. Um, you know, and uh, I'm pretty excited here uh, in this November, December issue of um, Peterson Bow Hunting. We had some of the top bucks taken in North America last year, and I have one of the the gentlemen who took a massive, massive buck um, on with us today. Zach Meadows, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast, and you have your copy <laughs> as well. Uh, Got it. Thanks for joining us to share your story on an, on an incredible deer. You've taken one of the uh, oh, it's got to be one of the top non typicals ever taken in the Sooner State. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, we got it on November 3rd, I think last year. So yeah, definitely been, uh, the highlight of my whitetail hunting career. Yeah. And this, and this buck, um, you'd actually seen two years prior, but, uh, to give everybody a little bit of a lowdown, this buck was a one ninety six and six eighths. And uh, I think it was a seven, a 17 pointer. You had seen it um, one or two years prior, and then it disappeared for a while, and then you started to see it again last year. And again, you took it on November 3rd. But let's talk about the story of this buck. It actually starts – I'm going to have you jump way, way back. This wasn't <clears> a case where where you've had big bucks on your property where you live uh, and you are uh, uh, outside of the Oklahoma City area, but you didn't always have big bucks. You have, you have property, and then you lease land adjacent to that. But you've had to put a lot of uh, hard work and sweat equity in this property over the years, haven't you? Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, I guess uh, since uh, probably since I turned 16 and got my driver's license. So it uh, but it, yeah, we you know, it, it really just started. We had a little uh, we had a farmer that that uh, let us hunt and, you know, we we built fence for him all summer. And, uh, you know, he he would uh, let us hunt, you know, for all mm -hmm. the work we did and, and that kind of snowballed into you know we ended up buying some property when i got a little older and graduated and actually had some money and and uh and then uh we lease all the property around it so we got a couple thousand acres to play with and uh there's a a, a major river that runs uh runs through there too so we got kind of a mixture of uh river bottom land and uh you know winter wheat fields but uh but yeah when we first started hunting it um you know it, it I, i'd say you know seeing a 120 inch deer was uh was was even rare i mean it was uh over hunted over pressured um you know some of the local uh farmers there you know the deer eating their crops they hated them and even though it was private land it looked like you know public uh <laughs> opening day you know, there'd be blaze orange everywhere on this private land. And it was just, you know, people were shooting anything that moved. And, and, uh, so, but yeah, we, we worked out some deals with the farmers and, uh, you know, now we're, you know, the, all the, all the free hunting's gone You know, all the big companies came in and started trying to lease it. So my days of, of free hunting is definitely gone, but 
Yeah, once we got, uh, you know, all the uh, everybody off and, and really had the place to ourselves, you know, it, it started, uh, you know, 20, 25 years of, of trying to figure it out, you know, on our own. And, and uh, yeah, we've we've learned a lot. And especially this last, you know, three, four years, we've really learned a lot, but, uh, but yeah, it, uh, um, it's definitely turned into a, a trophy buck, uh, area. Um, it, it's not, there's no high fence really here in Oklahoma at all. So yeah. they're all free ranging. So, you know, it, it, we had to get the neighbors on board also. And that's been a big, a big key to it is, uh, you know, making sure everybody's on the same page, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell, but. Yeah. And I have to hit on a couple of things. You just touched on a big key. Um, you have to have enough landowners or a big enough piece of land where the deer have the ability to get some age on them. That's key. But the other thing is you, you did a lot of habitat work on that property over the years. You mentioned when you got it, which mostly you saw small rack bucks and, and you've seen the quality change over time, but a lot of that had to do to obviously you had to improve the nutrition and the habitat for deer. So uh, when you and I um, were talking about this for the article, you mentioned you did some, uh, you put some food plots in and you had to clear out some cedars and things like that. Talk a little bit about all that work that went in behind the scenes. Cause again, yeah. we're talking about a two decade plus period. Yeah. You know, the, the cedar trees are always a, a, a yearly battle. You know, we've been uh, battling those things they'll just take over a property especially here in Oklahoma and I think you know several other places across the country but you know all the grass goes away and you just start getting these cedar tree forests and and uh, even the quail and other wildlife really suffer but yeah I mean we started out just with chainsaws and and uh just good old-fashioned muscle and um you know used to we'd, we'd just cut them and you know with that cedar uh, stays around for decades, you know, and then we started having these, you know, just brush piles everywhere. So about 10 years ago, um, I ended up buying a tractor and we started burning it, cleaning it up, even shipping some of it, you know, into mulch. But uh, yeah, cutting them and leave them lay is is uh, almost does as much damage as cutting them down. But uh just because you end up with this fire hazard and timber, you know, and it, and that cedar wood just uh, doesn't rot out and disappear like other hardwoods. But, um, but yeah, that, that's a big thing controlling those and, you know, we'll get it all clean and cleared. And uh, you know, next thing we know, we got cedar trees popping up this high. So it's, it's a yearly battle, but, uh, but yeah, that's an ongoing thing, but yeah, it started, you know, we started planting food plots and, um, you know, planting all the expensive blends and uh, pretty much everything, you know, anything we could get to grow. And, you know, we had a lot of crop failures. Uh, we have a lot of droughts here. Yeah. And uh, at, at somewhere along the way, we started sending soil samples off to our uh, the university, uh, uh, Oklahoma State University has mm -hmm. a great program. So so that kind of uh, led into, you know, planting some different things and trying, you know, some, uh, lime and getting the pH right. And, you know, that really helped when we had those droughts, you know, if our soil conditions were good, you know, they could take a little more drought and, uh, but you know, of all the things we planted and, and these expensive, you know, biologic mixes and all, you know, I, I would still have this winter wheat field that would just, you know, just cheap, 
cheap winter wheat and, you know, always had deer on it. So that's kind of our staple, you know, um, lately we've been experimenting with some cow peas and stuff. And, you know, when they come up, it's, it's phenomenal, but, um, but yeah, the food plots have been pretty key and, um, you know, um, how we hunted them 10 years ago was just, we had a stand in the middle of it. And, uh, you know, by the, by the time, uh, you know, halfway through the deer season, the food plot was pretty useless because we had already spooked them out. You know, we were, um, just hunting it wrong. So we can get into that later, but, uh, but yeah, the food plots have been key. And then, you know, we also have some that we don't hunt, you know, um, we, we got great acorns here in, in Oklahoma and, and I haven't quite figured out, you know, some years we have great acorn crops and some years we don't, but it seems the years that we don't have a good acorn crop, having a spring or, or, a, a summer food plot, you know, really, really helps. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, the food plots have been the biggest thing, you know, that we've done along with, um, you know, switchgrass. Um, we've experimented with different, you know, different kinds of switchgrass. Um, we put 80 acres in a CRP program and, uh, did that for a while. And then we took it out and, uh, went over to switchgrass and, uh, I guess they call it Indian grass as well. And, uh, it's just, just amazing uh for for bedding areas and uh we we also ringed all of our food plots with the switchgrass and uh just put a 10-foot ring of switchgrass around in it and it seems to help the deer um be a lot more comfortable and they they move on to the field earlier but it also gives us kind of an escape route you know so we can get in and out without being seen and without spooking the deer off the field and you know early on that was our one of our biggest mistakes that we were making was you know we'd we get on there the sun would go down the field would be loaded with deer we'd climb out of our stand and everything would run off well you know you do that twice and 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 it basically becomes a nocturnal food source so but uh but yeah as far as habitat goes you know switchgrass food plots um cedar trees uh, luckily we have good water everywhere with the river being right there. So, um, we haven't had to worry too much about, you know, putting in water facilities or anything like that, but, uh, but yeah, that's been the gist of it, but. And you touched on a really important, um, you know, point there, no matter whether you're hunting now during the rut or almost any time of the year is, is how you approach your stand, how you leave your stand is key. And that's everything from, you know, obviously making sure that you uh, keep the wind right, keep the wind yeah. in your favor, just like when you're in the stand, but also, you know, you gotta be cautious and you know, wear rubber boots or whatever to try to leave as little of, of your scent impact or imprint on, on the leaves, on the ground, uh, make sure that you don't blow the deer out of the field when you come out at night. And, you know, like you said, two, three times of that, and you could almost ruin your hunting for the season. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, on the, on the scent thing, you know, I've tried everything. I I haven't got the ozone machine above my head, but you know, all, all the sprays and, you know, just the, the charcoal bags and, you know, you name it. I, I mean, I, 
Mm-hmm. From what I've seen is you're not going to fool their nose. And, you know, if, if the wind's not right on these mature bucks, then, um, you know, no matter what you do, um, they're going to smell you. So, you know, I've, I've been keeping a log. Um, I, I just do it in my iPhone and um, on on Onyx. And um, it's got a little place for notes in there. So every time I sit a stand, you know, I, I kind of record how I entered the stand and, you know, which way the wind was blowing. And, um, and, and that's been really key going back and studying that. And, you know, I'll just go to our local airport and see, you know, the wind's 180 degrees at 10 knots and see what it's doing in that stand. So, um, I've got just pages of notes where, uh, where I kind of know what the wind's doing. Um, cause I've experienced that wind before and taken notes on it and, seeing what worked and what didn't but but yeah just getting in and out and playing the wind and and it's just been really key to to our success you know we we used to just walk in the shortest route possible take a four-wheeler you know as close as you dare and then and then walk in and and um you know that's we've really changed that up and and really got got mapped it out and see, you know, where that wind's carrying our scent. And, you know, what we found is, you know, we were probably scaring a lot of them just walking in because our scent was, you know, uh, going over a bedding area or, or uh, something like that. So we try to come in on open fields, you know, where the scent's blowing into a dead area, uh, like over a, a, a pond or a, an open field or, um, you know, it's probably not always the shortest and easiest route, but, um, but yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Now you were, uh, you talked about trying to fool older, mature whitetails and how important it is to, to make sure that you don't blow that opportunity. And, and when we were talking a, a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned you've actually changed how often you hunt your stands. Everybody knows that your best chance to get a, a deer is probably that first or second sit in a stand. That actually happened in the case of this deer. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but you've really taken that to the extreme. If I remember correctly, you have a fairly long season, but you've actually cut it back where you're maybe only hunting select stands one or two or three times a whole year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to do. I got four young boys and, and, you know, they're, they're wanting to hunt every weekend, every evening. And, so it's been really hard to do that. You know, I, my, my old mentality would be, I need to put the time in, you know, I need to, you know, if I hunt, you know, all of both season, but, you know, it was just, uh, you know, had the reverse effect. Um, you know, the deer were, were pattering us and, um, but yeah, we've really switched it up and, and the trail cameras have been a huge part of that. and. You know, if there's not a mature buck in the area, um, then we just don't don't hunt the stands, you know, and um, and just waiting for that perfect wind when the mature buck is hunting that stand. And, uh, yeah, we just try to keep out of there. And, you know, another thing we, we've, we've done a little bit is, you know, we'll, we'll have a, a trail cam, you know, and we'll know a mature bucks in the area. Well, we'll go set another one a hundred yards away and, you know, compare the pictures and try to determine his, uh, is he coming this way or is he going that way? 
and that really, you know, dictates which way we come in. And, um, but yeah, we try to stay out of there as just, just as much as possible. And, and, um, you know, we have some areas we don't even hunt. We just kind of leave it as a, as a sanctuary. And, um, it's, you know, it's very tempting to go put a stand up in the middle of it. But, uh, you know, I think that's why, you know, we, we have all the deer on us and our neighbors don't, you know, so. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk about this, this massive buck you got last year. And I don't know if you gave the deer a nickname or not, but, but let's talk about when did you first see the deer and, and how did that story sort of evolve over the past couple of years? Yeah. Yeah. We, we saw him, uh, uh, you know, a couple of years prior and, and, uh, you know, we here in Oklahoma, um, you know, right around the, 15th of October, you know, we, we either lose them or gain them. It's, um, you know, we'll be, we'll be on a trophy buck and, uh, and then all of a sudden he's gone and we won't see him again until the next year. Um, you know, I think it, uh, is with the, you know, their different ranges, they got a winter range and a summer range. And, and it seems like right around the 15th of October, um, you know, we either, get some big bucks or lose them. And, uh, a couple of years prior, we, we had a few pictures of, of this deer, but you know, he just disappeared on us. And, um, and then I guess last year, right around the, uh, you know, that transition period, for some reason he moved back, you know, his, uh, fall range was on us this time. And, and, uh, it was just all hands on deck and we, um, you know, we mapped everything out and just, uh, found the best place to try to take this deer. And, you know, they're just, the problem we had, there was just not a good stand location. There was, uh, no tall trees really to put a hang on stand. And so we were kind of forced to use a tripod, tripod stand. And, uh, we, we kind of buried it in the only cedar tree that was yeah. was left standing and uh you know it wasn't ideal but uh, that was the only place we were getting footage of of the deer and you know we we tried all different spots and and uh pretty much just focused on that one deer me and my oldest son and and uh you know we were we were I'd say obsessed and we all the other deer we kind of uh kind of let go and our main focus was on trying to get this deer and you know, we, we didn't know it, it it was that big. I mean, we knew it was a big deer, but we, we had no idea it was, you know, going to you know push 200 inches. Um, but by far the biggest deer I've ever chased. And, uh, but, but yeah, we, we, we got the canvas put up and, um, then, you know, we, we knew he was using this one trail and, um, it was a good distance from our stand. They were, kind of two trails that came through one at 25 yards and one at 61 yards. And we knew he was going to use one of those two. We knew which way he was going. Cause we had to put another trail camera up the trail a little bit. And, um, you know, he, uh, every night we practiced, we had a 61 yard pin and a 25 yard pin. And me and my son just flung arrows every night, you know, getting ready. And, um, you know, my son shoots, uh, I think his bow's 35, 40 pounds, whatever the legal limit is. And and for him, that 61 yard shot was just, you know, rainbowing in. So, um, you know, the plan was, I really wanted him to, 
to get a shot at the deer. But, um, you know, that day when the wind was just perfect and we decided to, you know, it's, it's now or never, um, that he he just wasn't comfortable, um, with, with, with the shot is just too much inconsistency with, with the, the poundage being that low and, and, uh, but, but yeah, we went for it and the conditions were perfect. We probably had to wait close to a month until the wind was, was perfect. And, um, you know, we, there was another non-typical that was, would have been the biggest deer I've, I've ever seen to date, uh, also. And he ended up showing up first and, um, it was just about, uh, you know, took everything I had not to shoot this non-typical and, um, but yeah, he ended up coming in, um, and almost in, in a, in a fight with this non-typical and, uh, but yeah, right on that 61 yard trail and, um, got a chance to send an arrow and, and, uh, it, it was a good hit. I, I, I felt really comfortable shooting that distance because, uh, I'd been doing it all, you know, every evening. So, but yeah, it, it stars aligned and, and we, we got a shot at him and, um, you know, he was pretty much nocturnal for the most part, but right, you know, right around that November, uh, in, in the not October, first part of November, we started getting more daylight footage of him. So, um, you know, we, we didn't know if we were going to get a shot at him or not, because we were just, most of our pictures were at night or right, you know, right 30 minutes after dark. So, um, those first daylight pictures we got of him, it was just, you know, we thought, well, we, we, we actually have a shot at this. So, and so obviously you were monitoring as closely as you could without um, infringing on his territory and you were waiting to the the weather and the wind conditions were ideal. And so you hit on a lot of the key things when, when you're hunting uh, whitetails that you really need to be conscious of and pay attention to. And, and, and that's a big thing. You may see some big bucks for, for most of your same thing here. I've been watching some, some nice deer for Pennsylvania um, uh, on my trail cams and until past day or two, they've all been uh, nighttime shots. And I mean, pretty late at night, 11 at night, two in the morning. Now you're starting to see some of them pop up like right before light, right after dark, even a couple uh, in the morning. So it's interesting how that progression goes as the rut approaches and, and the deer become more active, but, but you hit on a, on a key point. Now, I have to ask, you mentioned there was an, that other deer, and, 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 and there's two things I want to touch on. One, you actually were thinking about taking that deer, and if I remember correctly, you reached, you texted your son, and he's the one that said, Dad, try to hold out for that bigger one, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was shaking like a leaf. Uh, you know, this the non-typical that had come in, you know, the, would have been the biggest deer by far that I, that I you know, ever had a chance at taking, and you know, I, I, I was this close to doing it. Yeah. I just shot a text out to my son and I, I we called him jump. That was his nickname. We had. <laughs> yeah. I think I just said that jumps here. And, uh, you know, he, he, you know, he's like, Hey, if you shoot him, you're done. So, um, you know, so we, I ended up waiting, but yeah, that was one of the hardest things that I've, I've done. And, uh, yeah, it, I wasn't, you know, five, 10 minutes later, um, uh, this, this non-typical just gets really, really spooky. And, and, uh, I, I knew, you know, I knew he wasn't smelling me. So I, I was like, well, whatever's making him nervous has gotta be, gotta be pretty big. And, you know, I, I saw the antlers coming before anything else. And, uh, 
you know, they kind of get in a little standoff and start licking their lips and hair standing up. And uh, I thought I was going to, you know, get to see a, the the epic buck fight. But, uh, yeah, the non-typical ended up leaving. And, uh, you know, I just had kind of a split second there where he was in my my shooting window and and uh yeah just just got really lucky and and uh got a shot at him yeah and and it's such an incredible story because like i said you put so much work behind the scenes to get to this point and uh, uh you you had what anybody would consider a world-class buck in front of you You had to have the the patience to to wait that out but uh, i'm just curious John, is he is he still out there? Did one of your sons He's get still out get there? A He's still out there. We we we've uh, we've only got a couple pictures of him though this year. Um, you know, we we probably could have had this big deer, you know, a couple years ago if if we would have you know known what we know now. But you know, kind kind of what we've learned is is if we if we see them early, you know, there there's a good chance um, they may leave around that October fifteenth mark and go to a different range. So, you know, kind of, you know, one of the takeaways, I guess, is, is, uh, you know, sometimes you, you gotta, you know, move quick and capitalize on it because there's a good chance that, you know, once rut, uh, pre-rut starts, you know, there's a good chance those deer may move out. Um, you know, you may get something bigger move in, but, uh, but yeah, a couple of years ago, we just didn't, you know, have it together and, and, uh, you know, he left and, and, uh, uh, but yeah, we're glad he glad he came back. And uh, but yeah, that's one of the things we've learned is is uh, if we're on a big buck early, you know, before October fifteenth, we you know we if at all possible, you know, we need to try to make a move on him because there's a good chance he may not be there until next year if he makes it. Now the the I, I see a little bit of for 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 those who are listening. We're going to put pictures of this buck up when we put this uh, uh, out on our social media. But uh, if you see this on YouTube, is there's a there's a set of antlers in the corner. Is that the deer? Can you can you pull it yeah, over? Yeah, yeah, just for everyone yeah, who sees just, this on YouTube because it really is an impressive deer. And if you could just show and then talk a little bit about the mass and the points and yeah, and yeah that, just a little a fancy bit. Camera system here, so. Um, but yeah, I'll sit him in my office chair. I don't know if you can see him at all, but. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I just got the mount back. Yeah, that's an incredible book. And what was the spread? And talk a little bit about the the, the tines and the mass and stuff. I mean, it's just an, a, a beautiful, beautiful deer. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, the the whole scoring process was pretty pretty new to me. Um, yeah. I've never, you know, I, I've I've kind of scored them a little bit, but I'd I'd always been doing it wrong, and. Uh, so actually, after after I shot him, um, mm-hmm. we, we took him to the uh, the meat processor, uh-huh. and uh, you know I, I actually just downloaded an app on my phone and and uh, tried to score him myself right there, and and uh, I think I scored him, you know, one ninety nine or something, and mm-hmm. I, I, I thought I messed up. I was like, there's there's no no way uh, uh, that deer's that big, so. I just figured I screwed something up and uh, ended up leaving the deer at the uh, processor and uh, going to my son's football practice. And um, we're sitting up in the stands uh, and one of the dads uh, shows, gets a text message from, from a guy, I think from Pennsylvania or somewhere. 
not in Oklahoma. He's like, look at this deer this guy shot in Oklahoma. It was the same night, and it was my deer. So it it had leaked out that fast. I I guess somebody at the uh, meat processor had uh, you know knew knew it was a big deer, and you know potentially could could break our state record. And uh, it just kind of went viral uh, from that point on. And um, but yeah, I learned a lot about you know scoring deer and how they do it and and um, all the deductions you get and and, uh, and that app was, was pretty close because it ended up uh, scoring one ninety six and six seconds. That was a net, so the deductions off was net uh, Boone and Crockett. So that thing was was pretty close. And uh, yeah, yeah, I actually just got my Boone and Crockett uh, um, uh, certificate back. So uh, he's officially in the Boone and Crockett. I, I didn't think I'd ever have one in there, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I still think you should get extra credit for the, uh, the kickers and the, uh, um, instead of the deductions, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but, but no, yeah, he, uh, he missed our state record by, by a couple inches, but, um, you know, uh, we, this is the, the deductions we had, but, uh, but yeah, it it uh, it was just amazing how fast it went uh, viral across the country, and um, you know I, I learned learned another uh, lesson. You know when you're taking these these pictures out in the field um, with your iPhone, um, you know make make sure you have your location services turned off. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, and and it's just an incredible story from start to finish. And one other thing popped in my head as we were talking, you mentioned this deer was using one of two trails. I got the impression it was traveling in the same direction almost all the time when you would see it in the in the evenings. Um, so was it was it a, a, a travel corridor? Was it heading to a food source, an area with a lot of does? That was the other thing I was wondering, or all of the above. Yeah, kind of kind of all of the above. There, there was a nighttime uh, uh, cowpea field. Um, and, uh, it was right in between the bedding area and, uh, a cowpea field. And, um, yeah, it, it had some, some tall switchgrass and, and native buffalo grass. And it was in an area that, um, you know, it wasn't the, the best, it wasn't, you know, thick hardwoods or anything, but, uh, but yeah, it was just a good travel corridor and, uh, it had enough tall, grass to where the deer I think felt safe to to come out in the daytime a little bit you know maybe normally a little earlier than they would but uh just getting a stand in there was was one of the the hardest parts but but yeah we kind of knew you know generally which way he was going um by you know the trail cam pictures and um so just just studying and trying to figure out you know where the best place would be and what wind we needed and uh you know, we had a couple other trees that were that were would have been great to throw a hang up uh-huh. stand in, but you know, we would have had to have had an east wind, and you know, we're, we're either north or south here blowing, so um, you know, we would have had to wait for a cold front and catch that wind shift just right. So that really wasn't feasible. So um, you know, I I like to be as high up as I can on these hang hang on stands and. Um, you know, I was a little, little nervous hunting out of a shorter tripod stand, but, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time zip tying brush to it and, you know, making sure we had a good backdrop where we weren't sticking out. And, 
you know, that was one of the only times we actually went into that area was to put the stand up, uh-huh. uh, put an extra trail camera up. And, uh, you know, then, you know, we, we pretty much stayed out of the area and waited, waited for the wind. Now, we've talked about a lot of stuff that that comes into play when you're deer hunting. We talked about the weather. Uh, you mentioned something very early on in the conversation, which I wanted to bring up again. That's keeping a log. I do the same thing. I'll jot down the weather conditions, what I saw, which way the wind was blowing, all that good stuff. And you can look back and, well, we know that the different deer move different ways at different times of the year, every year. That can give you a little bit of a historical perspective. So that's huge, keeping notes or keeping a log, um, your approach to and from the stand. Um, you can really change things up in how you've haunted these properties uh, over the past three or four years. You said, do you have any other tips you would share as far as hunting the ruts, things that have really become important to you in the last couple of years that you can think make a difference in enhancing the chances of success? Yeah, you know, just keeping that log. I also do a reminder on my, you know, so easy on your iPhone and I and I hit the repeat every year button. And so on that day, you know, I put what we saw, um, you know, if it was a, uh, you know, if we saw a big deer or a lot of activity. And so every, every year, you know, when it gets close to rut, I got all these reminders that repeat yearly and, um, you know, it, you know, 2016, you know, just, it, it kind of really pinpoints the days of the most activity, but, uh, you know, we, we, we used to, um, play the moon and the barometer a lot and and you know we we don't so much anymore you know i I think one of of the biggest things uh is uh if we have a front move through when it when it's raining or snowing or sleeting and uh and those deer miss you know i i i think they eat you know about five times a day and periodically so you know when they start missing those feedings you know once once everything clears and, um, you know, they try to make up for those missed feedings. And that's really when we like to be in the stand. And, you know, I, I used to sit through the snowstorms and the rain and, you know, we, we just didn't see much movement, you know, when we didn't want to be out, they didn't really want to be out either. It's when it's when it cleared up and, um, you know, they're they're trying to make up for those two days of, of you know, they got 10 feedings they missed. And those are just uh, amazing, amazing days. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. that's really what we key in on now instead of, you know, hunting the moon and the barometer, uh, so much is, it's just more, more weather and, um, than, than anything. And, and I agree with you. And, and, and obviously, you know, a lot of hunters that follow that right before a front comes in or certainly after a front, especially if it's a snowstorm, right when that ends, it can be amazing deer hunting. But I have to go back to one thing you mentioned, and that's the, the phone reminders, because that's the, you, you personally, that's the first time I've ever, I think it's genius, first time I've ever heard anybody say that to me. Now, we know that it's going to change from year to year, but do you find those reminders somewhat decent indicators, at least to start yeah, paying attention it's, to everything? It's amazing. You know, I, I'll actually get them sitting in my stand. And, uh, um, yeah, it, it's amazing how accurate they are uh, from year to year. And, I, and I've been doing it, um, you know, uh, for an easy 10 years, uh, keeping, you know, detailed notes. But, but yeah, it, it's amazing how accurate they are um, year to year. And, uh, you know, we, we plan our hunts around it. You know, I'll go pull up all my reminders and, you know, the notes that we kept uh, in Onyx and, 
we just kind of put it all together with a good a good map and um you know and we change things up every year too we we try not to let the deer pattern us you know so we'll we'll see what works and what doesn't and kind of move the stand a little bit you know and another thing that we have a lot of ravines and 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 uh that lead into this this river and uh you know the thermals play a huge part in it also um you know that's something we kind of learned the hard way and you know just because we we got good wind and it, everything should be good but you know in the evening we found when we were sitting on top of these ridges that you know if there's not much wind and everything's cooling off our sense just sinking down and swirling down through this ravine and and uh even though our wind direction's good um if it's a light wind it seems like the thermals will overtake that and suck the scent down regardless of what the wind's doing if it's not blowing hard so you know we take that into account also and um really try not to hunt those in the evening you know and maybe we hunt them in the morning um so our scent's rising up and out and uh, you know, and another thing during the rut, you know, I, I I was always one of those guys. I'm gonna sit all day, you know, and and um, and I, and I think that's great. Um, I, I I love sitting all day, but um, I just don't do it in the same stand anymore, you know. To I always think, you know, the way I on our place, anyways, that some of these stands are good in the morning, and some are good in the evening, and just sitting all day in one stand you know, you're kind of uh, blowing one of those. So I'll actually switch stands, um, you know, around noon or whatever, and uh, try to get, in, you know, use my time better in, a, in, a, in an evening spot instead of, you know, but yeah, I'm all for sitting all day, especially, you know, uh, after November 1st, when they're starting to, yeah. you know, get into that seeking phase and, and, uh, but yeah, sitting all day is great if you can do yep. it. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you can, have a, you can have a buck come cruising by at any point during the rut. Uh, and, you know, but uh, if you have a, a hot stand in the evening where deer are moving towards a food source or whatever, it makes makes a lot of sense. I have some spots here and it's interesting. I hunt in uh, areas of high population, uh, urban suburban areas. And there's, uh, yeah, you know, stand sites I have or trails where they'll only come through in the evening. You'll never see a deer come through in the daytime, but in the evening, you can see them every single night. So just depends. You have to sort of custom tailor that to your situation and your setup. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I do have one last question for you. Um, do you have a deer you're looking to target this year? You already have something in mind or something you want your kids to get? Yeah, you know, it. it, uh, it we, we've kind of uh, that that non-typical, we're, we're, we're really trying to figure out uh, we're hoping right about now that he moves back in. Um, but yeah, he, he's been our target kind of all year. Um, he's, he's pushing over 200 inches, um, uh, easily, uh, just, uh, just kind of a Christmas tree rack with all kinds of, um, he's actually got kind of a main beam, um, uh, kind of looks like a drop time, but it's about a foot long. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it was from an injury or what, but he's got one of the gnarliest racks we've ever seen. So, you know, it, it's um, it's kind of uh, good and bad. You know, we're not seeing him right this minute. So, you know, our our, our motivation to go hunting is is a little lower. You know, but uh, 
it, you know, it, it, that that's what that's the one we're after. But yeah, we got we got some other one eighties and stuff that that uh, you know we're, we're we've aged and you know they're they're still fairly young, so we're mm-hmm. we're kind of letting them walk. But but yeah, our, our our deer that we're keying in on is that non typical, and and we're hoping here during the rut when they start chasing that's when we're, we're expecting he'll show back up again and and uh you know it's our best chance to get some pictures but yeah we're we're trying everything well i want to congratulate you on last year's deer a tremendous deer a once in a lifetime deer for, for everybody good luck to you and your family this year uh, as you get out and start doing your bow hunting and uh for everybody who's listening to bow hunting podcast this is the time of the year get out Have fun, be safe, and uh, shoot straight. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Bowhunting Podcast. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bowhunting Podcast. All bowhunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on your local newsstand. Or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.